I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Krishna Das Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishna Das shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishna Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. Anybody else? Where's the mic? Um, first off, happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, I think I told you last time. Is that an order or a... <laughs> yes, you will have one. Yes. It will be the most gracious birthday mm. in the history of birthdays. No, you remind me my brother is only 25, so... Yeah, that's um, right. See? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, I'll do this question. Um, you mentioned earlier the concept of people sometimes having the view of I've got to stick a gun out and make sure 
that nobody else comes and disturbs. In order to protect their happiness. And to protect their happiness. Their peace of mind, yeah. And unfortunately, it's maybe a growing sentiment, as we've seen. And so I'm curious just to hear your thoughts on what one could say to a person who has that sort of worldview, that sort of perspective, who thinks this sort of universal loving kindness may be naive or uh, unsafe. Uh, Just any thoughts you may have on that. Thank you. Oh, wait, don't go away. Sure. Uh, You asked like about 40 different things there. Did I? So, uh, okay, so somebody wants, are you talking, I'm not talking about real guns, but you seem to No, well, some people are. Yeah, no, okay. But uh, compassion and loving kindness are not for other people. It's how we forgive ourselves. That's how we... uh, open our own hearts. We're not doing it for someone else, but starting to think about other people and the pain that they're in, the suffering that they're living with, which underlies their own actions. That's, um, that's, you know, it's something that happens from within. It's not something you do to another person. Okay? So, uh, and, nor do you expect that it's going to have an effect on anybody. You don't, you're not doing it for any particular reason. You're doing it because you understand how it works on you. And the bottom line is, I mean, the very, very, very bottom line is there is only one of us in the whole universe. That's the bottom line truth. We are all cells in the same body. Some of us seem to be a little cancerous. But we are all cells of one body. So until all the different cells become healthy, there's no liberation for everyone, for anyone. Final liberation. That's what they say. So with that in mind, uh, you know, that that should have some effect on how you treat people. But that doesn't mean that the people are going to respond to that. That's that's their own predicament. so that was one part of the question you asked. There was, a, there was more. I think you nailed it. Okay, next. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hi. What made you want to come to the ashram? Coercion. <laughs> the, the ashram. No, no, I mean, I was coerced into coming here. I was threatened. No. I, I was invited. So I came, and then Gurudev asked me to continue coming, so I tried to do that. And I had to meet you. <laughs> and how do you like it so far? It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> the birthday cake was good. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. Do you like the vanilla or the chocolate? The chocolate. It was my favorite. Oh, I'm sorry. There's no future for us. <laughs> I, I, I went with the vanilla. It's a nice place. I like it. Yeah. And the drive down, you know, it's a long drive from New York. And once you get over into Virginia and Shenandoah County, oh, it's so beautiful. It's a beautiful drive, especially around sunset. Because I never see sunrise. Okay? Yes. Okay. 
Yeah, go ahead. Um, I, I've, I've watched you. One second. Just to answer your question a little bit more, just it's a nice opportunity to do, to have a few days with the same group of people also. I mean, this provides a wonderful atmosphere for, for doing really good work on ourselves. And uh, it kind of stays, doesn't dissipate between the sessions so much, which is a great thing due to the, the, um, the way the ashram functions. Yeah, so that's good. Still vanilla, it's the way it goes. <laughs> Um, the, the few times I've met you briefly, I've, I've shared that your documentary, One Track Heart, about the story of your life, has, has touched me very deeply, um, particularly with some of the challenges that you faced with um, some of the darkness and the depression. Um, just personally, it's very inspiring. Mm. Um, having mm. dealt with similar issues myself, and um, before spirituality, and then even after spirituality, kind of the same stuff. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, um, there's one part in particular that always touches me very deeply. Um, it's towards the end of the documentary where you say um, you finally, something about the ocean, and then uh, you, you finally figured out mm -hmm. that you could, for the first time in your life, you could get out of your own way. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's that was Grace, Total um, Grace Maharaji's Grace. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could just share maybe a little bit more about that. You could go watch the movie again. <laughs> I've watched it a bunch of times. That's the only movie again, but um, let me see if I can. Um, or just you, when it shifted, maybe share more. It's hard to explain in words, and it's one of those things that. If somebody could have told me this is this is what's going to happen and I would go oh yeah okay cool but I wouldn't have had a clue what they were talking about so it's one of those things that um, it's like all of us we live in our own worlds and the little bit of communication with other people's worlds is good but still you never really know what another person's feeling from their side we can only imagine from our side what Right? So. Well, the whole trip to India was in relation to the fact that uh, I quit chanting. I had started chanting with people this way in the summer of 94 at uh, Jiva Mukti in New York. But by the spring of 95, it already had become uh, a real problem for me because uh, I was a hungry guy and all this food was being offered and I was just going to eat it all up, you know, and uh, I was going to use, I, could, I saw that, I saw what was happening, what was going to happen, and that there was no way that I could not misuse all this energy and love and affection and attention uh, and not misuse it and take it and, and use it all for my own satisfaction and needs. I was hungry and I wanted to eat and food was being offered. So there was no possibility of not eating. 
And um, so uh, it, it bothered me very much because, it, not because I didn't want all those things, that didn't bother me. What bothered me was that that's not why I started chanting. I started chanting to try to reestablish my connection with Maharaji, which I felt from my side I had dropped. You know, he didn't drop his connection with me, but I was suffering from the fact that I felt I had lost my connection with him. And so um, that's why I started to chant. And uh, and now I could see that I wasn't going to be able to continue to do that because... It's like putting a four-year-old behind the seat of a jumbo jet. Say, just push for any button you like. You know, you're going to have a crash. That's what it was like. So I I just recognized that I couldn't couldn't do it anymore because I wasn't capable of doing it um, with... with, with, uh, from the right place, just to put it simply, right? And so I had to, I quit. And I was in terrible despair because you see, it was, I I knew that chanting with people was the only thing that was gonna save me, you know? And I was not doing well. It was 20 years after Maharaji died and I was not, nothing was happening, it was very bad, not getting it together. And uh, he showed me that chanting was the only thing I could do to help myself, and now I was being prevented from doing it by my own stuff. Is that clear? Yeah, I don't know if it's clear. Is it clear? Yes. Yes. So, and I, being a stubborn little boy, I just said, well, you know, if I can't do it right, I'm not going to fucking do it. And that's all there is to it. So I quit. And um, I went to India. As it turned out, I, I arrived in India on the spring solstice. And as it turned out, I left India on the summer solstice. It was strange. Um, and I say, I would say to Maharaji, you know, I was talking to him, and I said, hey, you know, you have to fix this. This is your problem. You know, I'm singing to people in your name. You don't fix this, I don't sing, that's the deal. Got it? Good night. <laughs> and every day I'd wake up, nothing changed. It was pretty bad. Every day it was a horror show. And every day I was just waiting for him to do this, right? To change. I, I had no doubt he could. You know, he could do anything. Would he? Was the question. Right? I, why? I don't know why he wouldn't, but I also don't know why he would. Either way, that's a mystery to me. I had no doubt he could change what had to be changed in order for me to continue. I didn't even know what it was. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to describe and say what had to happen. I didn't know, but something had to happen. <laughs> so... Three months in India, 
some of it down in Lucknow, and it was 120 degrees, brutal, just horrible. Finally, we got up to the hills, and I went up to Kenchi, and um, Kenchi is the temple I lived with, with Maharaji, and uh, for some time. And I was singing with the Kirtan Wallows every day, Hare Krishna guys. It was great. I was having a great time. But nothing had changed. And uh, even though I was having a good time, underneath I knew nothing had changed. And so there was a, a lot of despair, really terrible despair. Because I was going to have to go back soon. What was I going to do? You know, I, if, if this didn't happen for me, then I wouldn't be able to sing. It would be really uh, pretty bad. It was like somebody threw you a life rope, you know, and you didn't, you couldn't get to it, but you didn't, you couldn't take it. You wanted to take it, but you couldn't get to it. So it was very uh, painful. So then um, I was gonna, I was gonna, my original plan was to go back to New York by the middle of May or towards the end of May, and I. I went to stay up at Kenchi uh, around the beginning of May, and uh, or something like that. And Sidima asked me, "What are your plans?" And I said, "Well, probably go back towards the end of May." And she just looked at me. She said, "No, you have to stay. Uh, you have to stay here until June 15th, which is the date." of the Bandara, the celebration of the opening of the Hanuman Temple, the first temple opened there in Kenji. You have to stay until June 15th. You have to see Maharaji's big form. What? Mm, okay. So I made a few phone calls and nobody was looking for me. So the next day, I said, uh, yeah, I can stay. So. <laughs> It was, uh, it was the most exquisite torture I can't imagine. You can't even imagine what happened. I have to tell you one story. It's totally humiliating, but I don't care. <laughs> I love humiliation. So I developed a really bad case of hemorrhoids. <laughs> from having diarrhea for two months, you know. And uh, it was so bad that I actually just stopped eating. You know, I couldn't eat, and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't move. It was pure agony. Those of you who know, don't raise your hand. It's okay. <laughs> hmm, it's a sizable uh, laugh. So. Uh, it was just terrible, and everybody in the temple knew. Right? I walked across the courtyard, and some old lady come, came up and he said, Oh, Krishna Das, just sit on a little cushion with a hole in the middle, and then it won't hurt very much. And I'm thinking, this woman is talking about my fucking asshole. I walked 10 feet more and somebody else would offer me a few pills. These are very good. 
It's like everybody knew your business about the part that you want to keep pretty much to yourself. At least those that you love closely. Anyway, so... Unbelievable. So then I heard there was this guy who lived down in Haldwani, which is a town about an hour away, hour and a half away, who's, who was a very saintly guy. He was a business guy, but he had been taught these recipes by a saint, and he knew how to make these medicines with these blessings in them. And he had medicines, these, these tinctures for different things, and one of them were hemorrhoids. So I arranged to get this medicine sent down, sent up to the temple for me. Oh, 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 there's something else that's even more horrific here. So, you know, they say that if you soak your butt in warm water, I'm living in the mountains, there's no warm water, you know, and there's no place to soak your butt, that's for sure. However, <clears throat> with some warm, lukewarm bath water and a big bucket, so I brought the bucket into my room, a bucket of water, and I put it over by the window because there's these monkey bars on the window, you know, to keep the monkeys out. So I lowered my butt down into this bucket, holding onto the monkey bars. And I'm in total agony, you know, real agony. I, and I slipped and fell, and the bucket, the water went everywhere, and I'm lying on the floor like, and it's like, oh man, this is what you brought me here for? I mean, it was just so horrible. Like, unbelievable. Oh, then there's the guy who came up to me and said, you know, you take a little mustard oil and you just put it on your finger. That's India. So anyway, so finally, after a couple of days, this medicine arrives, right? And the thing is, you take, you start off with two drops in a glass, a small glass of water, and every day you add a drop until you get to 12, and then you go back to two drops. So, so I figured, okay, what's more I can do? So then I put it, two drops in the water, and I put it on the shelf, and then you leave it overnight, and in the morning, first thing you drink it. So I woke up that morning, next morning, and I drank the water, and this golden glow just went through my body. I went like, <laughs> and I pushed the bottle further back on the shelf to protect it from falling. It just got very valuable. <laughs> this is good. I wonder what three drops is going to do. <laughs> three drops did nothing. I never felt the thing again. But after a few days, I actually started to get better. It was extraordinary. Okay. <laughs> and the other thing was, Maharaji had instructed me to wear red. In fact, he asked, told me to wear this red shirt, this dread that's called an ulfi. And he had, I had made up, and I always wore them. <clears throat> and sometimes in India, in many years had gone by, but when I came to India this time, I put the ulfi in my bag, the red, and I said to myself, I'm taking it with me. 
but I am not going to wear it unless Siddhima orders me to herself, unless she says, Krishna, put on that ulfi. I will not wear it unless she... And I put it in my bag. So every time she invited, she introduced, like when I was with her and people would come up, every time, first we were in Rishikesh and then somewhere else, every time... There were other people, and they said, oh, this is Krishnaras from Maharaji's time. He was the Pujari at the Devi Temple. He used to wear red. <laughs> and she stopped there every time, like 10 times in a row. And I was just, just like, I'm waiting for her. Do you have that with you? Did you bring the Ophine? Would you like to wear it? You know, never a word, just, he used to wear red. And she'd look at me. So it was tucked away in my, in my luggage, right? All right, so also every night, you know, in the old days when I was living there, there were no lights in the valley, there were very few, almost no electricity in the whole valley. The temple had one little light bulb in the courtyard. And uh, you could. I used to go lie on the roof of the Dharmsala, which at that time was flat, now they've got a different roof, but, and you could just look at all the stars, you could see the shooting stars come down, you could hear the shooting stars, they like that, it was amazing, so quiet, so dark, and, and the sky was so alive. So, now there's lights everywhere, and, um, but there was one place in the back of the temple where I used to go where I could, if I stood in the right place, I was out of the lights, kind of in the shadows, and I could see the sky. And I would look up at the sky, and I would talk to Maharaji, and I'd say, I don't know, you know, you're not doing anything. Get it together. Good night. <laughs> Next day, you know, I don't know what's going on here. You're not doing anything. You know, I'm not singing, right? You got it. Okay, good night. So it was going on like that. Every day, nothing would happen. Nothing changed. So, uh... See, uh, the Bandara was on the 15th. So the night of the 14th, I go out there and I say, you know, I don't get it. What's going on? You know, you can do this. You can, you can do this. It's no problem for you. I don't understand. Why aren't you, do- why aren't you doing this? And I just kind of said, well, what am I, I can't make you, if you don't want to do it, I can't make you do it. All right, I'll go back, I'll sing, how bad could it be? Good night. (laughs) So the next day was, um, by the way, I had the best birthday I ever had in that period, because I remember thinking, oh wow, it's going to be my birthday in a couple of weeks. I remember the next time I thought, oh wow, it was my birthday a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) Um, So then the day started, the day of the Bandara. The road was closed. There were no buses, no cars allowed. Some private cars maybe. And it was filled with people lined up all the way from from Balali. Like eight, seven or eight kilometers of people lined up, tens of thousands of people waiting to get into the temple to have their food. They'd come in this way, and then a temporary bridge was built out of the back of the temple. So they'd come in, 
They'd be given their food, they'd sit down in lines on the roof of the Dharamsala, be fed, finish eating, they'd file out this way, and then over the bridge and gone, you know. And I think they, they said they'd fed over 70,000 people that, that day. So at one point, I, um, Siddhima had come out, Siddhima and Jivantima had come out. They were Maharaji's great old devotees. And uh, they come out, and they were sitting uh, by the steps where after you had your meal, after you took prasad, as they say, you would walk down the steps and then over the bridge out of the temple. So they, they would greet people as they were leaving. So I went, oh, 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 okay. So first thing in the morning, I get up, and I, on my way to sing with this one group of kirtanwalas that I used to like to sing with, and uh, I walked out of my room, and I'm about halfway there, and I, st- I stopped, and I said, Krishna Das, you are such an asshole. Would you put on your goddamn red dress? You want to wear it. Nobody's going to tell you. You want to wear it. That's enough. Just go put it on and shut up. <laughs> so I turned around, I went back into my room, and I put on my old feet, my red old feet. I walked out of the room, and all these people were looking at me, and said, who's this white monkey in a red dress? <laughs> <laughs> I went down and I sang with my guys and um, I came back, took a shower, a bath, and then uh, I went to stand over by Siddhima where she was sitting. And I was standing there with her and it was on a, a raised part where you could look down into the temple and you could see the line of people coming in, right? Oh, and then all the way up the hill on the road. So I was standing there for a long time with her, just watching the people, and, and uh, I began to notice this really unusual feeling, slightly uncomfortable. Peace. I started to feel peaceful. Now, this is a feeling I'm not really very well acquainted with, but it really is this kind of very quiet space, just, just kind of revealing itself, you could say, just opening up really slowly. And I was looking out at the people, and um, I had this thought, you know, in, in the Bhagavad Gita, where an Arjuna is getting instruction from Krishna. And at one point he says, you know, I don't really understand what you're talking about. So Krishna says, all right, boom. And he touches him, and he gives him the vision of the universal form. Basically, he shows Arjuna the way it is. And what Arjuna saw was a lot of things, but one thing he saw was that all beings, all beings, were constantly in this cycle of birth and death and entering into Krishna and coming out of Krishna and re-entering around and around and around. And this is where Krishna says to Arjuna, I come as time, the great destroyer. This is Krishna talking. I come as time. It is in time that we are born and we die. Outside of time, there's no birth or death. So Krishna says, I come as time. And in me, all beings have their beginning and their end. And like this, I don't know. So I was looking out at this group of people and I, I just had this thought. I said, you know, this is kind of like that. 
And I saw that, like, these, every, all these people had a storyline, right? Like the guy over there. He said to his family, tomorrow morning we're going to get up, we're going to take that bus, and we're going to catch that train, and we're going to take the bus to Bawali, and then we're going to walk down to the temple, and we're going to take Prasad. That's the storyline that guy lives in. But I saw from where I was standing that that's not, that was just the storyline. What really happened was that Maharaji dragged him, threw the food in his mouth, and dragged him home. He thought he was doing it, just like we think we're living our lives, right? Most of us get up in the morning and think, how much sugar should I put in that coffee today? We think we're living our lives. But I saw it. It wasn't like that. Maharaji brought these people here and then threw the food in their mouth and, dragged, and then dragged them away. And on top of that, Maharaji was doing nothing. He wasn't doing anything. It was all happening inside of him perfectly. The whole thing. See, and when Arjuna saw Krishna, Krishna wasn't doing, he was being. And all beings were going in and out of him and the whole universe was revolving. But he was stillness. So this was happening inside of this peace, this space that was very, with complete peace. So it was just a passing kind of little flicker at this point. I stood there for a couple hours or more with Ma, and then, uh, and then uh, I was on my way to sing again with some other guys, and then I passed by the Devi temple, the Durga temple, and I realized that I hadn't actually gone there in all the weeks I'd been in Kenji, and I was about to leave the next day. So I walked over, and I sat down in front of it, in the temple, but there were too many people in the courtyard running around, so I just walked around the back of the temple, and I sat down with my back up against the temple, you know? And I just sat there, and next thing I know, I was coming back. I'd been gone. I don't know, it could have been one second, it could have been an hour, I have no idea how long it was. I'd been completely gone, and I opened my eyes, and now I was fully immersed in the experience of this vast space and total peace, absolute peace and absolute silence. People were moving, people were talking, coming and going, but nothing was happening. I don't know. That's the only words I have to describe it. And, um, and there was this vast presence, this vast space, like the sky. And inside of that, everything was inside of that vast space. Just like the sky, everything's inside. The earth, the clouds, the pollution, the people, the planes, the birds, everything's inside of the space of the sky. This was like that, except it was bigger, much bigger. Nothing could be outside of this 
vast presence, right? And the other thing was that there was no Krishna das anywhere. I, there was, I wasn't there. The me that I know myself to be just wasn't there. And people would come up to me to say goodbye, you know, because I was leaving the next day. And I would usually just go, oh, thank you, thank you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would go like, yeah, I, I was out of my own way for the first time in my life. Nobody there, nothing like that, none of the stuff, it was all disappeared. <sighs> it was a fucking vacation. <laughs> And really, I walked around, I moved, but there was no movement. People were talking, but there was no sound. And I was completely at ease and at peace. And um, then I looked up in the sky, and I saw this like thickening, little like vibrating kind of little thickening in the sky. And I pointed to it and I laughed out loud. And I said, that's Krishna Dasness. And what it was, was a, a whirling bundle of thoughts going around, 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 around. <coughs> That's Krishna Dasness. Those thoughts. This is me, this is me, this is me, I'm this, I'm going here, I'm not this, I'm not this. Those thoughts. Right? And I said, it was too funny. And I laughed. I said, even when I think I'm Krishna Das and I'm stupid, it doesn't affect this. This is always here, just behind your thoughts. This is always here. It couldn't be anywhere else. We're inside of it all the time. And I saw that even when I was stupid and thought I was me, had no deal. It didn't affect this at all. Not at all. And so I was free to come back and sing. Because even if you think that I'm doing this, I don't. That's your problem. I got nothing to do with it. I, you know, fine, you can think what you want. I'm not going to beat you up. But I don't have to think that. That's what freed me to come back and really be able to sing because it isn't about me. It was perfectly clear. So, then Siddhima called me. I went to say goodbye. She called me in and she said, she said you, you're going? I said, yeah, Ma, I have to go. She said, don't go. I said, Ma, I have to go. Don't go. I said, Ma, I have to go. And she's looking at me and I'm looking at her and we are laughing. It was too funny. She knew, of course, exactly what I was experiencing. And she was just playing with me, you know. Don't go. I said, oh, I have to go. And she said, wait a minute. Go bring him that thing from over there. So they brought me this thing from over there. I said, thank you, Mom. I said, ah, don't go. I have to go. Oh, go, you get him that thing over there. Get him the thing. Go sit by my heart and just tuck it there in the back. Okay. Now go. Never 
It was so good. And then finally we just broke out laughing. She grabbed me and pulled me down and hugged me. Up. And it was two emptinesses merging, like clouds kind of floating through each other. But there's nobody home. This is the Ram, the, na- the names of God are the names of that place. And by Ram Nam Karnese Sapurho Jata, from repeating these names, this is what happens. You find out who you really are. And there was, there was, it wasn't, when I say there was no me, it just meant there were no walls to the house. It was wide open. It was all me, you could say, but not me, me. It was all here. There was nothing blocking anything. There's totally nothing to be afraid of. So, that's the deal. She teases me. She said, I made you stay. (laughs) So, well, that's that. I had nothing to do with it, by the way. I mean, I hope you understand that. All I wanted to do was be able to sing. And I begged him to change something and make it happen, and he did. He fucking tortured me for three months, but he finally did it. So, this is all happening by his grace, by his blessings. I just try to, you know, do the best I can, stay out of the way, and let it all happen. But the thing that freed me to come back was the recognition that even when I was stupid and thought I was me, I'm not. That's the thing. You're not either. You're being stupid right now. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. You're still who you really are. Even if you don't know. And like, I don't know now. I'm not in that space now. That state of mind, it really lasted a long time. It had a long, slow fade, you know? About nine months. One day I woke up and it was a memory. I could tell the difference. For nine months it was accessible. I could taste it. But after one particular day, I went, oh, I remember what that tastes like. It was a real difference. Some funny things go on here. So you have to be you. I mean, what's, this, what's the whole thing about, right? You have to be who you are. You can't be anybody else. You might as well enjoy it. And if you can't, figure out why. That's the whole deal. <laughs>